0: Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me for today's show where we head to South London for a disturbing case of double murder. A real mystery where every answer just seems to pose more questions. I'm delighted that this week's show is once again sponsored by HelloFresh. If you've yet to hear of HelloFresh, they're the UK's leading recipe box company delivering fresh pre-portioned ingredients for great testing recipes straight to your door. During what is a difficult time for everyone, particularly for the most vulnerable, the team at HelloFresh have been working around the clock to provide fresh food to as many people as they can across the country. With 20 delicious recipes to choose from each week, you can break away from the routine of cooking the same old recipes on repeat, we all do it don't we, and cook up easy to follow recipes that everyone will enjoy. Whether it's a quick and simple recipe you're after, or something for the family, HelloFresh have recipes to suit every mood and taste, and if you fancy making a meal of it, you can also add extras to your box like handmade bread, good desserts and lovely bottles of wine. Everything you need to cook and enjoy delicious homemade meals from the comfort of home delivered. HelloFresh, dinner is solved. Before we begin, a huge thank you to my supporters on Patreon, especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. Florencia Valamilla, Michaela Gibbs, Richard Blades, Claire Miller, Kyle Peace and Carl Robertson. Thank you all so much for your support. Bonus episode 42 was released yesterday and there is loads of more exclusive content at patreon.com forward slash UK True Why not come and join us? And take a look at my website at UKTrueCrime.com where you will find lots of average articles but not this week's. This week's is excellent. It's all around murder-rabilia. Take a look. Let's set some context for today's story to recall the music we were, or weren't, listening to and play our little game of guest a month and year. In the UK, Imagine Dragons were in the top spot with Thunder. In the US, it was Rockstar from Post Malone featuring 21 Savage, Keeping Havana by Camilla Cabello and Young Thug from number one. That was the last song I murdered at karaoke. Amateur choice. In Australia, the top spot was filled by Taylor Swift with reputation. In the news this month, Egyptian lawyer Nabi al was sentenced to three years in prison for saying that women wearing ripped jeans should be raped. It's hard to believe we share the same planet with such people, isn't it? Amazon began operations in Australia this month. And Saudi Arabia announced an end to its 35-year ban on cinemas. Great in many ways, although the big downside is more people might be subjected to the Lord of the Rings movies. A ban on ivory trade in China came into effect about bloody time. And Australia regained cricket's ashes against England, winning by an innings to take a three-game lead at the Wacker in Perth. And in UK true crime news, the God Complex with evident again, when shy, retiring and humble British surgeon Simon Bramhall admitted to carving his initials on the liver of two of his patients. Speaking to the BBC after his suspension, he admitted he had made, I quote, a mistake. You think? Deptford is in south-east London on the banks of the River Thames. The Wikipedia is interesting saying it's famous for the following the knighting of Sir Francis Drake by Queen Elizabeth I aboard the Golden Hind, the legend of Sir Walter Rayleigh laying down his cape for Elizabeth, Captain James Cook's third voyage aboard resolution, and the mysterious murder of Christopher Marlowe in a house along Deptford Strand. Who knew? 69-year-old Noel Brown lived in Deptford. Every day he followed the same routine, heading to the local Paddy Power bookies for a bet with his neighbour, Jenny Hilton. When she popped to his house at ten thirty one one late November morning as always, there was no answer which was most unlike him. He didn't bet much but he liked routine and he enjoyed the daily trip to the bookies where he could chat with all the people he met. He was known on the estate as a friendly, a likeable guy and then on the 1st of December Noel's daughter Marie, who lived not too far away in Peckham, called Jenny to say that she was concerned as she had not been able to get through to her dad on the phone either that day or the day before, and she asked Jenny to check on him. Jenny did so, but again there was no answer. Marie, her 41-year-old mum of two, was now getting worried. It was most unlike her dad not to answer. And she told her daughter, Finita, that she was going to take the bus to Deptford that Saturday lunchtime to check on him. Marie told her daughter she would keep her updated during the day, but by the time Venita arrived at university at 1.30 in the afternoon, her mum still hadn't called. Venita kept trying to call her, but the phone just rang, not even going to voicemail. This was very out of character, and by 9pm when Venita arrived home, and there was still nothing at all from her mum, she called the police and reported her as a missing person. The police immediately took this report seriously, and at just after 2am the next day arrived at Noel's one-bedroom flat. They weren't prepared for the sights and smells that greeted them at the flat, as it resembled a scene from a horror movie. The partially dismembered body of Noel lay in the bath. Both of his arms were missing below the elbow, as was one of his legs. There was a strong smell of bleach. Going to the lounge, they found the lifeless body of his daughter, Marie. The Mets DCI, Simon Harding, later said, the first thing we noticed is that Marie was dressed exactly as she left. She still had her coat on, so it didn't look as though she had been there long. In terms of Noel, there was a significant amount of bleach around the body, which would indicate a form of clean-up process. A post-mortem would later confirm that Noel and his daughter were both strangled, and there were signs that Marie had fought desperately for her life when she was killed. A post-mortem would later confirm that Noel and his daughter were both strangled by the bandages that Noel wore and there were signs that Marie had fought desperately for her life when she was killed. The Home Office pathologist said that though Noel had an underlying heart condition, this did not lead to his death. D.C.A. Simon Harding said the pair were both strangled with sock bandages, adding Noel wore them on a daily basis as he had problems with his legs. These bandages were discovered in several places in the flat. Detectives were puzzled by why someone would have killed the dad and daughter. And there were no signs of forced entry in the flat, so it seemed they'd been killed by someone they knew, or at least someone they trusted enough to grant access. Looking at Marie's life, it seemed impossible to think that anyone would want to hurt this popular and gentle woman. Marie was someone always caring for people, someone who loved her family, her job at a crash and primary school, and even when she died, She was thinking of someone else, caring for her dad. She was described by her family following her death as a calm, peaceful person, slow to anger and quick to forgive, and her two children were described as her life. Detectives could find nothing under the surface, no sign of any double life, and there was no motive they could find why someone would want to hurt Marie. So was the double murder connected to her dad, Noel. Noel's life appeared a little more complex. He was originally from Jamaica and was described by his close friends as a kind and loving man who loved to write poetry and had been writing a book about his life shortly before he was killed. His health had been deteriorating before his death and as well as a heart condition he'd suffered a stroke in 2015 and was currently undergoing treatment for prostate cancer. Detectives discovered he had served time in prison for 33 offences in his life, including sexual offences. When he was 51, he was jailed for nine years at the Old Bailey, this was in 1999, after being found guilty of abusing two young girls. He'd been released in 2004 and was still on the sex offenders register when he died. This information hadn't been known to people on his estate. Had he been targeted due to this offence, or others? Was he a target of vigilantes or those connected to his victims? Marie had not been in contact with her dad for a large portion of her life. They'd started to speak during his final stint in prison. But the two were at the time of their deaths very close, talking on the phone daily. The other possibility looked at was whether Noel was killed for money. Detectives knew that he gambled daily. Had he had a big win, maybe? But when they examined his track record, he certainly wasn't a high roller by any definition betting no more than £15 a day, so that motive was quickly ruled out. Detectives soon reached a conclusion that Noel had been murdered for reasons that were not clear, and poor Marie had probably stumbled upon the killer as he, she or they dismembered her dad with a saw and cleaned up the murder scene. And this is why Marie had died. But who was responsible? Detectives were hopeful for CCTV assistance, as Noel's flat, one of a block of four in New Butts Lane, is right by Deptford High Street, which is a busy thoroughfare with loads of security cameras. And more than that, there was a council camera that pointed directly at Noel's front door. But of course, this was the one camera on the whole estate that hadn't been working. Just so typical. This was so frustrating for officers on the case, as it made the investigation much more difficult. Noel's flat was accessed using a key fob, so detectives were able to find the times the flat was entered and they then checked the surrounding CCTV to look for potential suspects. There was a series of failed attempts to enter Noel's flat in the days following his lack of contact with his neighbour, Jenny, and his daughter, which appeared suspicious, but the CCTV didn't show anyone in the vicinity at this time. This didn't add up, it didn't make sense. And detectives went back to the FOB Company a number of times to check the accuracy of the FOBs. Before eventually, the FOB Company finally realized that their data was out by an hour. This changed everything. And from the CCTV, detectives quickly established a suspect whose appearances matched the failed FOB attempts. This man was seen on the day when they suspected he killed Noel, and was also seen at 5 am on Saturday, the 2nd of December with a large rucksack on his back the day that marie was killed detectives believed that this had to be noel's killer preparing to dismember his body and to clean the crime scene the suspect wasn't recognized by officers and they released the images to the public asking for information about this man that they dubbed the rucksack man and further extensive analysis of the cctv showed that on friday the 1st of december at about 10:30 a.m another man was spotted entering the estate and leaving an hour later, which is about the time police suspected that Noel was murdered. But the CCTV was unclear whether or not this was the rucksack man, so he was known to the team as the bike man. And it took hours of searching CCTV up to three miles away from the murder scene before detectives were able to confidently conclude that the two suspects were in fact the same person. And he was also spotted entering the estate in the early hours of Saturday morning, so this had to be the murderer. But on the Saturday when Marie was killed, this man was unsuccessful in entering Noel's flat, as after murdering Noel the day before, he'd picked up the wrong keys. Rather than picking up Noel's keys, he'd picked up the keys belonging to Noel's neighbour, Jenny Hilton. He left the flat after failing to gain entry, but came back later at around midday and managed to enter the flat where he began to dismember Noel's body. It was shortly after this that Marie had arrived and was killed too. The killer didn't stay long and left again at 2 in the afternoon before returning for one final time that evening. Detectives just weren't sure why he returned on that occasion. But although detectives knew the movements of the double killer, they still had no idea who he was or why he had killed Noel and Marie. Detectives firmly believed that DNA would lead them to the killer and items from Noel's flat were tested to see what DNA could be taken. But the prime hope was that the DNA found on the bandages used to kill Noel and Marie, which matched spots of blood on Noel's pillow, would provide the answer. This DNA had to belong to the killer. There were no clear matches with the National DNA Database, which would have been a quick win. But hopes were raised, when this DNA matched the DNA of the suspect in a burglary in West London, in Hounslow. But the person who had committed this burglary had never been caught. Detectives turn to familial DNA matches, where profiles very close to the target DNA are examined to see if these people are a direct relation of the person being sought. And bingo. A lady living in Birmingham had a really strong fit, and when interviewed, She told detectives that she had strong family links to Deptford, as her father used to live there. This had to be the lead they were looking for, but again, their hopes were dashed when it was shown she had no connection to the killer's DNA, and the fact that her dad had links to Deptford was just another cruel coincidence. When looking for this sort of DNA, detectives knew the basic parameters they were looking for to guide their search. Any of their suspect was around 30 to 50 and so the person they were seeking had to be young enough to be their child, or old enough to be their parent. They then focused only on potential matches in the local area to increase the chances of the results being relevant, or the task could have used endless amounts of resources. But this technique developed by the National Crime Agency, although providing some hope, is a long shot with very few cases leading to success. And once the new list of searches was completed, and ranked in order of interest, it was time to get on with good old-fashioned legwork and just start calling the people on the list. Southwark News reports how when the very first call was made, to the person at the top of the list, the man answering the call responded, Is this about my son? His son, and it transpired the man they'd been seeking for killing Noel and Marie, was 37-year-old Nathaniel Henry they had found the man responsible for the murders. But he could not be questioned, as on New Year's Eve, weeks after the double murders, he too had been found dead. Henry was a basketball coach at Peckham's Damiella Taylor Centre and was reported missing by his mum after last being seen on the 5th of December, shortly after the murders of Noel and Marie. Later on the evening of 5th of December, he texted a pal saying, I'm going to be missing this week, I'm not my usual self. He was reported missing on the 12th of December, and police officers searched his flat, but there was no sign of anything wrong. His calendar had all the dates crossed off up to the 4th of December, and since that date he hadn't touched his bank account, and except for the one text I referred to, he hadn't used his phone. Henry had suffered from mental health issues in the past, especially depression, for which he'd been treated at the Morsley Trust, but inquiries there hadn't located him. DCI Harding explains how almost a month after the disappearance, officers again searched Henry's flat, with no success, and the surrounding area. He said, During the search, officers found the deceased in a locked cupboard in the ground floor which led to his flat. It's quite a small cupboard he was lying down and had a duvet covering his legs. He was well clothed and had some of his personal effects with him. He had his phone, and he had food which had a sell-by date of 6th of December. He also had with him a blister pack of tablets. The cupboard had some tissues shoved into the lock from the inside. The key was found among the set of his own keys. There was no sign of disturbance. At the inquest into his death, the senior coroner concluded that the autopsy and toxology evidence, I quote, all indicates there was no third party in the 37-year-old's death. We know he had stresses and previous suicide attempts. He does lock himself in a cupboard, which does suggest he doesn't want to be disturbed. But he didn't conclude a suicide verdict, and instead recorded a drug-related verdict after speaking of a degree of uncertainty over whether Henry had intended to take tablets with the aim of ending his own life. I record my condolences to the family and all those involved in the circumstances surrounding his death, he concluded. There was shock among those who had known Henry that he'd killed two people. Before he was linked to the murders, a crowdfunding page was started to contribute towards his funeral costs after the news broke of his death. The page, which raised almost £1,500, read Nathaniel was a true pillar of the community who loved helping to make a difference. He would always go above and beyond his job by helping the children with any problems they may have had at home. His passing has left a huge gaping hole in the community, with many of the children he mentored struggling to deal with the news. Henry was a father himself. He left behind a daughter and two sons, with one of his sons at university in the US on a basketball scholarship. His neighbours and friends all spoke highly of him. Lovely guy, the perfect neighbour. They were just shocked he'd been able to do such a thing. And why had Henry killed Noel? Detectives still aren't sure. Surely it had to be connected with his past. Although when he had died, Noel was a genial man well known on his estate around Deptford, in the past he had collected those convictions for serious offences, including rape, sexual assault and burglary. But it had been 16 years since he'd been convicted of any offence. Was it something detectives didn't know about? Or was it something from the past that had led Henry to take his brutal revenge? Some of the tabloid press suggested it was due to the abuse of the two girls and that Henry knew he was ill and dying and so wanted to kill Noel while he was still healthy enough. But this, as with all theories on motive, is just speculation. I've no idea what the trigger was all those years later, admitted DCI Harding. We don't know. We never worked out how he got into the building on the first time, he added. Speculating that he could have pretended to be working for a utilities company, or maybe he entered closely behind another resident. And Noel's body parts that were removed were never located, despite a thorough search of the surrounding area. Another officer on the case, DCI Rance, said that maybe Henry's phone might provide at least some of the answers if experts are ever able to unlock it, but they haven't done so as we speak today. If not, the reasons for the murder may remain a mystery. And of course this doesn't help the families of Noel and Marie. DCI Harding said that the success of linking the crimes to Henry was, and I quote, tinged with frustration and sadness at being unable to provide the victim's family with closure. I don't feel that they have received closure. I think anyone in this circumstance would want somebody to face justice in the normal way that we would want in a court and serve a long sentence for what they did, to be punished. So I don't feel that they're really content with it, which is pretty understandable. It's very difficult to not have their time to see that person face justice in the way they probably should have done. And I think it's right that in today's episode, we let the family have the final word on their two loved ones. Sharon Brown, Noel's daughter, said, The family of Noel Brown would like him to be remembered as a valued man and caring father. The devastating loss has robbed us of his presence unfairly, made worse by the knowledge that no one has been brought to justice for this crime. Noel Brown was a jovial, kind person who was always known as a loyal friend. He did not deserve to die in this horrific way. Life has not been the same since we learned of his brutal murder. For the past two years, we've experienced acute shock, severe anxiety and depression, struggling to carry on with our lives when nothing will ever be the same again. It's harder to work, socialise or even feel safe in our homes. When a family member is lost in this way, life can't go back to what it used to be. We will be haunted for the rest of our lives by this crime and the suffering that Noel endured in his final hours. Marie Brown's half-sister and daughter said, As a family, we've really struggled to come to terms with the death of our lovely Marie. It has been nearly two years since she was taken from us and we are still in pain. All Marie ever did was care for everyone. Even in her final moments of life, she was doing her best to care for people. She was extremely kind and gentle. The sort of person to give you the last of anything she had. We would never understand why she was robbed from us. Marie was everything and we miss her so much. To know Marie would be to know how much time she dedicated to her children and how she constantly wanted to help people, especially her father whom she loved and cared deeply for. He was a humble man who was creative and kept himself to himself. It's a terrible thing that the evil in this world would cost us something as innocent as Marie. There are many things that we have started that Marie would have been so proud of and we intend to finish them. Marie's name will never be forgotten. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Three mysterious deaths. Noel's brutal murder, for reasons we're unlikely ever to know. And poor Marie, just how terrified she must have been that day when she was killed. And she was murdered for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Henry too. Although we struggle to have any sympathy for him, his death was undoubtedly a sad and lonely one we can just hope that all of those still living the nightmare caused by the events we've discussed will be able to gain some enjoyment from the rest of their lives. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this episode or any aspects of UK true crime, please head to my Facebook group of almost 32,000 members where you'll be made very, very welcome. To support the show and keep me producing this free content every week, please head to patreon.com forward slash crime where for a couple of quid a month, you'll be able to access 42 bonus episodes, discounted sauna tickets for certain establishments in the northwest around the Rochdale area, and other exclusive content. So until we speak again next week, it's that sad moment, I know, I know, when we say goodbye. I thought tonight I might just have a quiet night in, not sure about you, but whatever you are doing, Have fun, but most of all, stay classy. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.